Hey, Masters of Banter, episode 16. It's your boy, I am Mike Lakin, here with my co-host. John Michael Espina, happy to be with you. Welcome back, brother. I know you just came back from a safe trip to NY. How was that? Oh, man, uh, a lot of love, a lot of fun. Um, enjoyed it, got a little bit of taste of winter, as opposed to uh, being in Florida, praying for it. <laughs> we got a cold front, man. It's, it's kind of cool right now. We got a cold front at like 70 degrees. How cold was it up there? <laughs> I saw y'all in jackets. Uh, it, yeah, it was... I would say in like the daytime, it was like mid fifties to high sixties or low sixties, and then the cold was like thirty five to forty. Mm, you can have that. Nah, I mean I like it, man. <laughs> I, I like the cold though. I, really, I run hot, so I run hot, but I still like. Yeah, you wouldn't have to worry about sweating. All these pictures you got in look like you're wearing, uh, like you're got like spots doused in water. Yeah, <laughs> like all black Dalmatian. Yeah, we're um, no, nah, I don't. I don't care about sweating. I don't do well in the cold, man. I I suffer. It'd be like a fan around you all the time. In theory, it sounds nice. It'd be cool. You could sit outside for once. Nah, you know, in the daytime. We went to Boston a few years back. It was like it's 34. like a vampire being played. <laughs> It was like 34 degrees in Boston. I was dying. I don't even own a jacket. Anyway, let's get into this. That song y'all were listening to, that was Childish Gambino's new single, uh, Me and Your Mama. Interesting title. Uh, dope song. What'd you think? Uh, I It's it's exciting. Dude, I'm not mistaken. He did have a kid here recently, correct? I believe he yeah, did. He had a son. I thought he did. Because so, a lot of the undertones of from what I've seen of this album and kind of his inspiration for a lot of, that, a lot of the album has come from having a son and a lot of his represent or his uh, relationship with yeah. the mother, and then kind of what he wants to instill in his kid. I do want. I do have to say the timing of when he released the track and the timing, because uh, people have been waiting for so long for this track to come out, and uh-huh. the fact that he, it it's just There's popped been a off. lot of hints, and it happened right after the election. I don't know if he planned it for that because the show Atlanta also wrapped up the finale yeah but them happening at the same time around the same time was pretty awesome he, he's not one for um coincidence he does a lot of intentional things like uh the title of his last album because of internet with a solely internet release mm-hmm. i would imagine the same things happening here with, you know with the whole countdown clock on twitter and all that stuff uh if you don't know check him out i don't even remember what his twitter handle is I don't know. Should be able I to find it. I think it's just Childish Gambino. He, he verified. You can find it. But um, yeah, that track was dope, man. I'm I'm anxious to see what the album is about. It's different because he is a rapper, mm-hmm. but we know he can sing. Uh, that was a bit Prince meets Funkadelic. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot, I, I there's a lot man. There's cool. a, there, he jumps cool. from from funk. He jumps from a little Andre three thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little... well, so this is an interesting thing because. We've seen this isn't the the only artist over the last two years or or a year and a half to release an album that was heavily rock influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, even Kendrick even Kendrick had a lot of you know jazz a lot of, yeah. a lot of, had guitar had a lot of instrumentals. I mean, we saw Kid Cudi do his best like uh, Puddle of Mud album. I don't even know what the hell that was, but it's so garbage. <laughs> but um, he it's interesting to see this because I feel like whereas Kid Cudi did a lot of like grunge rock, mm-hmm. I feel like Childish. Is more influenced by, I like you said, Prince. I think it's gonna have a lot of Prince. I think it's gonna have a lot of jazz. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's dressed up like um, like a reggae artist in all the concert pictures we've seen. True. He looks. Uh, I can just tell you, I'm extremely excited. For me, I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Like you're, you were saying, there's no bars on the song. I almost kind of was like excited it? by that because you could tell with the like the singles that he had been doing in between because of the internet and this and mm-hmm. what he had released in London and, and performed. He wanted to be more 
you know, like, yeah, it, like conceptual and melodic. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't necessarily think he's going to go 100% that. I do think there's going to be some rapping in it or, you know, mostly rapping in it well, probably. Well, last album didn't really feature a whole lot of rap either. I mean, if there was rap, it was, like you said, it was conceptualized. It mm-hmm. was a part of the song, not just rap for rap's sake. Yeah. Like, and say, uh, Drake. It was more Kendrick. Yeah, and he's very <laughs> big on saying, I'm not a rapper. Yeah. yeah. He, it's kind of one of his things. He's like, I rap. But I'm not a rapper. And that's fair. And he says, I I act, but I'm not an actor. And it's his conscious effort to not be put in a box. And I think that he really, really is working on not being put in a box. But if anyone to be put in a box, he should be the least likely. He's he's the only one that has come up in so many different career fields and been so (laughs) successful at them. He's the the Deion Sanders of of, um, celebrities right now. I'm sure there's other people who've done that, though. I don't think anyone's done it... in the matter, like I think people have come in and rap, been successful, and then gone and, and done other over. things. But like, will you? Can, dude, it's really hard to find a guy who's come up as an actor and then decided and then to go into ADA and go because most of the time when rappers try to do mu- or actors try to do music, it's, terrible. it's horrible. It's absolutely, it's terrible. absolutely horrible. Or you get that doppelganger or that that weird like both uh-huh. where it's Nick Cannon and then they really aren't good at either <laughs> one of them, but somehow have popularity. Somehow are famous. Somehow are have fame. Fame, but, but they're roles. really not good at acting or music. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I, I like the fact that he's multi talented in this, and he's given us um, experiences from each of his talents. And I guarantee you, if we could find any actors who professional sing well, or vice versa, none of them are also stand up comedians. Yeah. So and and then comedic writers. Yeah, and which, a comedic writer. Yeah. Which brings us to something else we were talking about, other than the album, which we're extremely excited about, was the finale of Atlanta. Atlanta did finish out. I, I like the way it finished. It was cool. It was subtle. But so has the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. It's been all about subtle nuances, and and it did close on a message. It, the The writing style was really cool because it gave us a finale with openings for the next season, which is essentially what a finale is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it was cool. Like they they went through the whole party Snapchat thing and what happened last night, looking for the jacket and all that stuff. I thought it was cool. I, I liked it a lot. What you thought? I I like the fact that it had the feel of Earns like coming to age moment. Throughout the season, it felt like he was being called to grow up. He was mm-hmm. being called called to be his own man. In the first episode, he's challenged as even being a man from his own family. True, but you hadn't really seen anything as far as doing it yet. You had mm-hmm. seen him kind of step up and be a manager, realizing he's not a drug dealer, realizing he doesn't have you know the quite the strength that his his cousin has. He doesn't have quite the humor and the people skills that his cousin's friend has. Yeah. And he's also just not that good at like the, his job. So it's like, what is he going to do he's to show that, that he's really grown up? Mm-hmm. And I think th- what I saw from the finale was he finally bet on himself. Yeah. And whenever his cousin paid him for you know being a manager in his service fee or whatever, he took a little bit of the money for himself, gave mm-hmm. most of it to his, his baby mom. Yeah, his child's mother. And then he went and he went to his house that he's living in. Yeah, it's a storage unit. And yeah, that looks really sad. But it's also a... It's his scene. I'm taking... I'm going to be an adult. And I'm on my own. And as sad as it might have seemed, it was exciting if you're a fan rooting for Earn to grow up. Of course. And and many people have been there. I mean, Tupac, the the album uh, that... Kendrick Lamar just put out to Pimp Butterfly mm-hmm. where he was where he does the interview with Tupac and he cuts it. He and Tupac even says, I've done some of the most menial jobs possible. Mm-hmm. He's like, I've served people and made millionaires out of them. He's like, it's my turn to make millions out of myself. And I feel like this is Earn's 
suffering, moment. Yeah. suffering moment to have a greater success later. I, oh, I, I love that. Definitely. And, uh, and for me, a little bit of identifying there, because I've stated before, um, career-wise, I haven't been the most successful that I'd like to be. And I also have a kid, and sometimes you got to make that sacrifice and give that money up because you know you got to take care of yours, but you still need some for yourself. And being in that space, no, I never lived in a storage container, but I've lived in like a crappy apartment mm-hmm. and worked two jobs and you know put in twelve to fourteen hour days just trying to make it from A to B um, and still do what I have to do. It's it's like rooting for him and also seeing myself in him, mm-hmm. like that moment in the in the like he could have stayed at at his kid's mom's house. But anybody who's ever dealt with that knows that comes with a whole side of baggage you may not want to deal with. Having his own space, it, he was happy. Yeah. He was fine. Like, it may have looked sad, and the the setting of it all may have seemed dreary, but he was fine. He had his music. He had his money. He He's good. Like, he's he's in his own space, and I, I, can, I can identify with that wholly, like 100%. Um, it was a good finale. And then also, oh, my God. Outcast elevators. I was about to say. I was about to point it Ooh. back to the because that's off the AT Aliens yeah. album, correct? Yeah, yeah. and uh, th- that fit perfectly. So the the one thing I'll say is they have used music so eloquently in this show mm-hmm. as far as because they, they obviously wrote it before they tied the songs to it. I think this is the one episode where I would say I think when they wrote it they, they tied had a this, song. Yeah, they had a song in mind like this was yeah, written and, on that script, <laughs> and it worked so perfectly because I mean you. You, you explain what you were talking about with the lyrics. And how well, well, essentially, the song is is about Outkast's moment of, hey, we're doing this and this isn't working. We have to do we have to do something else. Um, Athena agrees. She like Outkast, <laughs> uh, but they, it was Outkast. Basically, the song is about them and their their uh, grind from being unknown and broke to essentially having money. So it's like that song was representative of that moment within. It's so meta. The song is representative of Earn's moment, so it also helps in compelling, uh, not compelling, but um, articulating the story point. The point of this story is to show you his rise to fame. It's about uh, him being a manager in a rap game and them in the Atlanta rap game wanting to um, wanting to grow and, and make it. They want to make it, and Outkast did that, and that's what that song was about. So it was just they just go hand in hand. I don't. I mean, I'm sure there were other songs they could have chose. But the song's called Atlanta, and Outkast is one of the greatest groups of all time well, out of Atlanta. And it's so. also, also really, I don't want to say they put Atlanta on the map. They kind of put Atlanta on the map. Well, but well, there are other rappers that came out in Atlanta around the same time period, but I would say that won a Grammy that did a lot of the things that... They I put Atlanta say. on the map as far as national hip-hop was concerned. And artistically. We knew about it because yeah. we're from the South. But New York didn't know about Atlanta until Outkast went up to the Grammys and accepted that award. And they were mm-hmm. like, people were like booing. Yeah. You know that clip where Andre's like, you know, a lot of y'all don't know about Atlanta, but y'all y'all will now. That Outkast is that group. They mm-hmm. they put Atlanta on the map in terms of national music. So, Which is what which, which is what Charles Gambino is trying to do with... A oh, yeah. lot of what his art is in general with, with his writing of the show. Everything about Bino, he grew up in Atlanta. His music, I'm not going to say Donald Glover because none of his other stuff have been representative of Atlanta. But that's also why he really wanted to do the show, to show you Atlanta and what it's about. And, and not the Walking Dead version of Atlanta? Yeah, no, not, not the Walking <laughs> Dead version or like that that polished... like Gentrification. Yeah, no, no not that either. The Where you get the barbecue from, like the spots, like the hood yeah. spots. Uh, episode one, where they're at a janky gas station, where they uh, where the dude shot off a gun and no police 
responded or anything. At all. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I think it's really cool. I thought everything tied together. And I, I agree with you. I believe they wrote the entire script, and whoever scored it did it after the fact, except for that last song. I bet when he wrote it, he was like, you know, as Earn walks back to his uh, storage spot, He's with his headphones on. He's listening to Outcast Elevators. I'm mm-hmm. sure um, even Childish Gambino, Donna Glover, had that moment himself, and yeah. he was writing it about himself. So even if he didn't actually physically have that moment, he probably has seen himself in that moment. So uh, super dope, man. But um, let's get into the next topic. What we have on the agenda for the day. All right. So the next thing we're going to jump to is something that happened over the weekend. If you didn't notice, then you obviously aren't on social media or have any <laughs> polls. So uh, Dave Chappelle hosted SNL mm-hmm. and he did it with the musical guest tribe called Quest. Listen but to the yes, clip. Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Chappelle. suspect it. Seemed like Hillary was doing well in the polls, and yet I know the whites. <laughs> Pulse nightclub, which they said ISIS did, and then it turned out that wasn't exactly what happened. And if that is what happened, then ISIS is scarier than I thought, because they have very deep cover operatives. Look, guys, we're going down deep for this one. I might have to, uh, get a grinder account and uh, <laughs> jerk a few guys off and throw them off the trail. <laughs> I don't think the guy was in ISIS. What happened was he pledged allegiance to ISIS before he did what he did, which is not the same as being in ISIS, you know what I mean? Like, I was gonna have sex with a girl, and right before I did it, I screamed out, Wu-Tang. That don't mean I'm in the Wu-Tang clan. <laughs> I'm just shouting Wu-Tang out. Shout out to Wu-Ting, but that's uh, his opening monologue from SNL. Um, definitely still got it. Jason Chappelle did, didn't miss a beat. Yeah, it was... I don't, he still got it. It was so much... Like, he hadn't skipped a beat. I mean, he, he did his, like... <laughs> he did his forced hiatus from uh, TV and media. Is that what we're calling it? I mean, he chose Where to. he went off into the African wilderness to... Left all 50 African wilderness of Cincinnati. (laughs) He moved to rural Ohio. (laughs) 50 mil on the table, though. (laughs) Hey, you know what, man? And and I'm sure at some point he'll talk about this. I'm sure he'll write a book about it or something like that. But at certain points, you know, he had a moral stand to make. I think he made it. And I mean, his old old argument he made was only, he's like, there's no difference between someone with 20 million and 50 million. We live in the same neighborhood. Facts. I, I fully agree with it. It's just, being broke is just kind of weird. Like it is weird. All the fame and fortune. Like then you get in the showbiz to be famous. And Put it rich. like this, man. If I hope I have that problem. <laughs> I hope I have the problems. <laughs> Those are you... lofty problems. <laughs> I, I, I want them problems too. Right. Uh, but no, he man. 
dude, the jokes were right on point. The jokes were, or I don't want to, apropos for the time, like, wow. they're, they're definitely spot on. Just like I questioned uh, Ch- um, the release of Childish Gambino's album as to, after the election, did he say, okay, we're definitely releasing this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, did Dave Chappelle have to rewrite after Tuesday? Because I'm sure he's been planning for this episode for a few weeks and getting ready. And then after the election, you you know he has to. All right, well this, well, we're 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 throwing some of these in here too. If he was smart, if it were me, and I'm not saying he did this, I think those jokes could have went either way. If Trump had lost, he could have just been making fun of Trump losing and still saying some of those things. I think. I mean, what was, what was the first lead off joke he was talking about? Uh, the only one I can remember is the Wu Tang one for some reason. Oh, he talks about the whites. Like he he knew that oh. he knew he knew Trump was going to win because he knows white people. True. Well, yeah, maybe that was a rewrite. Uh, he also is skilled enough to kind of do it off the top of his head. Um, dude, does he even sit down to write anymore at this point? I don't know. The one joke that hit me the hardest was when he <laughs> when he's talking about how they're talking about that wealthy black people are going to be leaving America and how he's going to stay and enjoy this tax break. <laughs> he's like, because last time he got wealthy, it didn't happen that way because we elected Obama and he tried. To, he said that we need to start caring about other it, people. Um, he's like, he's like, I just got this money. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, we had a black president. Come on, we need to start caring about other people. Damn it, I just got this money, nigga. Yeah, that's, yeah that was a good one. That, that was, was um, I like the gentrification one, too, though. It's like, uh, there's no room in the balloon basket. Yeah. Ta-ta. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, Chappelle man. was on it, man. He, he, he killed it. Dude, he, he, hit, he hit people with what, what he, only he can do, man. Um, and it did a lot of, I would say this, he did what only he could do in a way of bringing the comedy in a way where I feel like mass amounts of people can understand where he's coming from. He hit a subject that a lot of people are very, uh, I wouldn't say, let's not say upset, just sensitive Sensitive. to. And then he also did it in a very uncomfortable way for some people. He spoke about some things Mm -hmm. that will probably get, MEC's already said they're going to get fined for a few things. They know that they broke some FCC things. They were letting everything I mean, he didn't go full Louis C.K. Because when Louis C.K. went on there, he's like, (laughs) I'm going to give you stand-up comedy and I'm going to hit you in the face. And I feel like Chappelle was tempered a little bit in that. But I don't know. So a a lot of what's getting thrown under the rug here is everyone's talking about like, hey, was the white working class left behind? And I feel like what Dave Chappelle's saying is, you know what? There was other people that are that you need to worry about than the mm-hmm. white working class because he's you know the black working class have suffered over the last eight uh, years al- a little almost bit. Everybody, yeah, else. and yeah, <laughs> all minority working class have suffered too. And and that's the one thing that is a sobering message about what's going on is that yes, we have rebounded as a country from the recession, but you know, like he said, everyone's everyone's taking some licks. Yeah, you know? definitely, no definitely. Um, I thought it was cool because also. Looking at it from this point of view, they they did take a lick, or they're gonna take a lick from um, the FCC. They were letting the N word fly, all the curse words. They were just letting it go. Um, but the ratings boost for it being Chappelle, I'm sure um, when they look at their numbers, they're gonna say, "Whoa!" And not to be completely racist here, but the black demographic watched SNL. Oh that, yeah, they that probably normally did it. I usually do, but I'm not black. Nah. <laughs> um, I am black, but I don't get counted as such because i don't drink hennessy um neither here nor there um but i thought it was cool and the snl show usually kind of caters to their host unless their host doesn't have a whole lot to offer then it's kind of snl with the host just as a part of all the skits this was very dave chappelle Mm -hmm. every skit was like this felt like the chappelle show with the snl guest star absolutely 
and, and I thought that was super cool. Um, they even brought back his characters for the Negan skit. Mm-hmm. Um, classic characters like Clayton Bigsby, uh, Tyrone the Crackhead, the Haters. If you didn't watch it, again, like like JM said, if you don't know what we're talking about, you live under a rock and you're Patrick the Starfish. I don't I don't know what else to tell you. Like, go look it up. It's on YouTube. It's yeah, all and I, I feel like he... I feel like he approached it with such a, like a soberness uh, of mindset whenever he came into it because he understood what what he was going to come with. There were going to be certain topics that he needed to hit in the face, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things he hit was definitely the knee jerk reaction that a lot of let's just say it metropolitan elitists are having at this mm-hmm. point. And yes, they are upset because Donald it, Trump is it, president. It didn't go their way. But let's be honest, like. While this is horrible, and while this is terrible, and while I do worry about the sanctity of our country, I have to be honest with you, we have done worse things, and I think some of the comments that were coming mm-hmm. out of people were so disillusioned that you understand why people, like, why you lost this election. Yeah. Like, and I think he was looking, while at the same time, because often, let's be honest, often SNL is one of those comedic streams, mm-hmm. or it has been of late, that wants to... You know, have its cake and eat it too. They want to completely say Trump is completely erroneous as a candidate, and but we he is. Need com- him to make fun but of we him. need him to be able to get these jokes off. Yeah. So, which um, which in a way normalizes him to society, but at the same time, he's completely rubbish. You shouldn't ever vote for him. So <laughs> hey, I mean, hey, in real life, don't vote for him, but please let him run so we can make these jokes. Oh shit, he ran and he won. Yeah. Like, we did not expect that. Yes, we're gonna have jokes for the next four years, but. Because I, I admit this, too. I, I'm not going to ask you to admit it. You're not white, and you're not an SNL writer. It's been tough for them with Obama. Bush, The Bush years for comedy were the glory years. Mm-hmm. I think this is the new renaissance for them, for comedic writing in terms of like making fun of our president. Because mm-hmm. Obama was just too smooth. He was too cool. What could you do? What could you say? I mean, like, Key and Pill pulled it off. But I don't think SNL could do what Key and Pill did with, with Obama. No, no, I don't think they could either. I... I, I... I'll say this, there, what was, um, I don't want to say his name wrong, it's not David Whitmore, Whitmore, from where, the guy who did the Late Show with, black guy, did the Late Show, he also did the Black Correspondence Dinner, or the uh, Correspondence Dinner, and he called, he said the N-word to Obama. Oh, Keegan Michael Key? No. Oh, you're talking about the, um. Larry Whitmore, Larry Whitmore. The Nightly Show. Yes, the Not Nightly the Daily show. show, the Nightly Show. Nightly show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. I know I butchered his name. Please feel free to make fun of me. <laughs> anyway, well, also, I'd said the election date wrong on the election show. So, I mean, there's two typos in a row. I said the second, and then the election was on the eighth. Well, thanks so. for dragging me down, because I'm the producer and didn't catch that. <laughs> but anyway, so he talked about how now that Obama's leaving, that a lot of... Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore. A lot of um, media is becoming more Caucasian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we were looking at a white president. So mm-hmm. when Obama came into office, it gave a lot of um, black media personalities a mm-hmm. chance and more of a platform and a, and, a, and a kind of a seat at the table. And Shout out to Shift Division Media. Sh- yeah, shout out, <laughs> shout out to that. Shout out to his and hers. They were something that came up yeah. during the Obama Ouch. years. Uh, shout out to... There's just... <clears throat> put it like this. The Obama years did, did take away some of that comedic... Um, Punch, punch because yeah. you know Will Ferrell lived and died off of George Bush and he freaking lived and uh, it was really great. I think this is a is a, a type of you could say an opportunity for a comedic renaissance. Um, I liked what Dave Chappelle said at the end when he talked about 
um, the disenfranchised. And I think before we go into the final clip for this sec- for what he said, um, or before we go into who the music artist was, I think that what he said was so important because as I was in New York City, I was at the Trump, uh, the anti-Trump rally. Oh, you took part in that? By accident. Did you throw something? I did not mean to. I will say this. (laughs) Would you turn a corner and, oh, shit, here's a sign? No, no. Actually, this is how it happened, man. We were in Rockefeller Center. We were watching (laughs) them raise the tree, which was really cool, actually. Actually, so they were watching them raise this gigantic tree up. And like with the crane, mm-hmm. um, kid from the country though, you you know when a tree's falling, you hear that snap the wood makes, and it yeah. scares the hell out of you. Yeah. So when the tree was going up, it didn't make any of those noises until it got straight, and, up, and all the all started stretching out, mm-hmm. and all the branches started stretching out. Scared the hell out of me. I thought it was falling. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, this God. is. I was oh, like, God. I heard this noise before. So you ensued a panic. So yeah. So uh, <laughs> we left there and we went through the Lego. There's a big two story Lego store. We mm-hmm. walked through there and took some pictures and stuff like that, and then walked back out. And I turned to Delia and I was like, oh, the Tiffany store is around here. And I was like, I, you should definitely look at that if you've never been in it. And she's like, oh, I haven't. So we went to go to it. As we're she's walking. Like, I don't have to go. You'll buy me it. <laughs> <laughs> As we're going, we're walking. And like we start looking around. And I'm like, why are all these people walking down the middle of Fifth Avenue? I was like, you're supposed to drive down Fifth Avenue. I was like, you can't just walk down it. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, crap. We're going the wrong way. Let's turn around. And we turned around. And there were 30,000 people walking down the damn street. And I went, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We got no, swept up in no. it. Yes. And literally we turned around and, and it went from a small number to a gigantic horde of people. And we looked to our left and to our right. That's crazy. And there were police not letting you exit the street. You had to walk to where they were telling you and then you could get out. Oh, so, so I was literally, I, I was accidentally part of a protest. That's that's the whitest story I've ever heard. Yeah. And so <laughs> we're, we're walking with it and I, I filmed it. But a lot of what they were crying out for... Well, yes, there was the, you know, we we reject the president-elect chance, and there was dump Trump and all that kind of stuff. A lot of what people are, are crying for now is because they accept the fact that they can't get rid of him. But they're demanding that he respect who they are. And like you said, where I'm tying this all together is Obama being elected brought a lot of people to the table that didn't have an opportunity for. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what we as a people and what Dave Chappelle says is we demand to get an opportunity to continue being at that table. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of what people fear is that backlash. they will no longer, not 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 backlash, but they will no well, longer be invited to the party. That backslide is what yeah, I meant backslide. to say. A backslide from the forward progress we made over these last eight Obama years. We being at the table. Yeah, not even just we the... Could, we could backslide to not being at the table. Not even just the Obama years. I mean, you can hate George Bush and you can think that he was an idiot and that he handled the military situation right, wrong in Iraq. I agree or you with could, all of the above. And, but <laughs> the one thing George Bush was, it, very much like his father, was very much a middle-of-the-road to mm-hmm. progressive Republican. As far as... Not progressive in a lot of... But... Progressive Republican. He, no, I'll just say a middle of the road. Bush politics really stayed away from like anything that had to do with disenfranchising. Mm-hmm. I would say black people as a whole, other than what Kanye would say. But they weren't Trump, and they weren't pushing to get rid of Roe v. Wade. They weren't pushing to. I agree. To, it, it wasn't so right. Yeah, it was it, like you said. It was close to the compared middle. to Trump. Bush was not as bad. So what I'm saying is, you've had you went from Clinton to Bush to Obama, and I think while the prog- progress was definitely. Uh, throttled down during the bush years mm-hmm. it is nothing to what people fear during the trump years and they feel like well we have progressed with clinton and with 
Obama that we might never, you know, see that again. And I think that's the the, the fear. That that, that is a that is a very valid fear. You being um, Latino, me being black. Uh, I don't think we're going to receive any direct racism, but who knows what kind of legislations may pass that might affect us peripherally. Yeah. And that's a whole other show which we can get into. I will say that, like you, I agree with what Chappelle said. Um, the sentiment is this. He's elected. What can we do? The protests, I don't know what the point is. He's going to be sworn in in January. So the other half of the country spoke. And I'm saying the other half because I didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a part of the country that spoke by not speaking and not voting. That 40% of people who did nothing. You you guys can... Uh, you, you don't really have a, anything to say here. You didn't pick either way. So, Mike Evans. Yeah. You, how are you, you going to not vote and then protest who we pick? That's the that's almost like the girlfriend dinner scenario. Like, where do you want to eat? Like, I don't know. You choose. And then I choose something and then you shoot it down. That's what the 40% of non-voters are. Like, you didn't vote, so you don't get to say who's in office or not. But I do agree with Dave Chappelle. Let's actually check out what he said here to close out his uh, SNL opening skit. In that spirit, I'm wishing Donald Trump luck. And I'm going to give him a chance. And we, the historically disenfranchised, demand that he give us one, too. Thank you very much. And going from that, you have to go into the Tribe Crawled Quest song. I almost butchered that one. <laughs> um, which is uh, we, we the People. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a track off their new album, which uh, I've listened to a, a quite a bit of it um, this today. And uh, now that I'm back in town, and um, Q-Tip's got a lot to say. Q-Tip almost could have released this by a, a Q-Tip album. Yeah, um, I thought it was super dope. Uh, you want to check that out real quick? Um, before we go into the song, what the the reason I wanted to reference it before is he directly references the disenfranchised people uh, in Dave Chappelle's clip that we just played you. And this is a song which I don't know if they wrote it before. Uh, they could have written it during the election process because it's been going on for two years. But um, <laughs> they they wrote about a lot of what we see in the country right now, which is um, a lot of people being told that, um, that not you, you're, you're not wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked to a couple of cab or uh, Uber drivers while we were riding around and they, you know, they're immigrants and their sons are uh, born in this country citizens, yeah. and they're citizens and they have such a problem understanding why they are not considered the same as their sons to some people. And because we're all immigrants and it's a mentality of that you have the right as the historically franchised to decide who has worth in this country and who mm-hmm. doesn't. And uh, that you're worried about people taking your jobs and um, unseating you from the throne. But it's kind of an oxymoron because if they didn't have worth to the country, then they wouldn't be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So let's listen to Trap Called Quest. All you black folks, you must go. All you Mexicans, you must go. And all you poor folks, you must go. Classic try, man. The vibe, so mellow, but the bars are so hard. Like, yeah, I love that about try. Absolutely, man. I remember uh, I was when I was writing music a 
few years back. Uh, and my dad, <laughs> my dad, my dad used to uh, used to say he was like, man, you know, this reminds me of music that I used to listen to. He's like, because it's so happy sounding, mm-hmm. but what you're talking about is so serious, so heavy, yeah. And um, it's a gentle thing. To, it's a gentle thing to do. And when people do it, so when people do it as well as they do it, and when artists do it um, in a way that. It, it you you start you find your head your head bobbing yeah, foot tapping all of a sudden you're like oh they're throwing an uppercut to society yep and I think they're talking about a lot of the mindsets that are so um, ingrained in the history of our country mm-hmm. that it is almost passed over and uh, this is going to take us to a story I know we didn't plan on talking but I wanted to mention it really quick which is uh, Phil Jackson calling. Um, LeBron James and his uh, cohorts a posse, posse yeah. and uh, it kind of goes into that a little bit. The it's so ingrained. It almost seems normal. Yeah, it, it, it's well, it's your mindset to kind of kind of like you ever watch like old Italian movies and they call everyone every slur in the world. Mm-hmm. They're like spicks, wops, you know, everything, yeah. and they just throw them out so flippantly because it's the way we speak. Hey, just accept it. Well, some of that has to do with a certain mindset that has been ingrained in you. You know, mm-hmm. you it's so. Um, Installed in our culture that it's second nature. It's as easy as calling somebody bro or man or homie. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I, I feel feel. You know how I feel about Phil. I saw that today on Sports Center, and I was kind of. I'll just say this: he's from Montana. Mm-hmm. People are people. They live their lives. He's still one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time to me. What, what doesn't change it? He what, could yeah. he could have voted for Trump. It doesn't change well, that. What he truly believes, and like you said, what he may think and feel in his own heart, I don't know. Calling LeBron's homies posse—that's just weird to me, mm-hmm. and it's it just gives you a kind of a view of his character. And I'll just leave it at that. His character as a person, but I don't I don't know him. He's not my friend. He, I don't. He doesn't go to my church. So I don't really care what he says in his personal life. And he's not the coach of the Lakers anymore, so I really don't care what he does. Yeah, and and it goes back to the point where, which even Maverick Carter came back and said, I'm not calling him racist because there's no evidence to the fact to make a case that he's racist. Yeah, I'm not, no one's I'm saying not the that. guy that's the, automatic to pull the race card. And the, and the argument isn't, are people that say these type of things racist? What, what the argument is, is the reason that they should not say them or the... Or if you're going to say them, you need to understand the context in which it came from that mm-hmm. is being said. And the reason these things are said is because historically, when people see a group of African-American men or a group of Hispanic men or minorities in mm-hmm. general in groups, they get nervous, a they get scared, and it's a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And yes, while you, Mr. Person listening on to yeah. this podcast, Joe sitting Public. with sitting with your <laughs> headphones, you have not a racist bone in your body. You still have to at least recognize that that certain things have a bias. meaning, and, yeah. and 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 yes, it it makes it even more of it should come as even more of a realization that someone as ingrained in African American culture as I'm sure Phil Jackson uh, is, yeah. still those words can come out of his mouth so quickly because. They are part of America. And what we have to do is to progress and to get to the point where when you see a group of minorities together, you don't think anything negative. You Mm -hmm. don't think about crossing the street. Mm -hmm. You don't think anything because we're all just Americans. And will that happen tomorrow? No. No. But like I said, Phil Jackson doesn't need to be like thrown out of the league or anything crazy. But I I think he does need to take a step back and be like, hey, maybe I did have a, a wrong connotation to this. Maybe I was trying to throw shade at someone and... And use the use the wrong word. Use racial slate shade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know that reminds me. And this also has nothing to do with nothing, but I'm we're gonna call this random banter. Um, 
Star Trek Beyond, there's a scene at the beginning where um, Sulu gets off the Enterprise and he gra- he get- he meets up with his family and it's mm-hmm. a guy and they have a daughter. So normal, not focused on, they didn't highlight it or anything. It was almost in the background. And it was cool to see, like, they never said Sulu's gay. Sulu's just always been um, the pilot of the ship. And, they- and it was there and it- they made it seem so normal. And that's kind of like what we're talking about now. Uh Whereas we were talking about racial, now I'm going to talk about uh, sexual orientation, to where those things seem so normal. When two men kiss on TV, it's a part of the story, and it's not so much that we're trying to be like, we're trying to break the mold and make two gays kiss on TV. Like It's just normal, societally normal as seeing you kiss your girl goodbye. I see two dudes kiss goodbye. It shouldn't make me feel any kind of way. It should just be normal to me that those people do their thing that they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um that is something, I, and when people get all upset, Dan Lebitard did a segment on uh, his his radio show where they talked about who was the most handsome football coach in the NFL, who had the most, uh, and they were talking about who's the hottest and stuff like that, and all these people cool. were like, yeah, and, and what's funny is there were so many people going back and forth, and they're like, oh, well, if you win a football coach as a whole, Cliff Kingsbury from Texas Tech, and then like, oh, Mike Tomlin, blah, 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 they were throwing all these names around, and there's people so uncomfortable about, uncomfortable about it, and he goes, and Dan Levitard stops the show, and he goes, do you realize what we're doing here? Mm-hmm. He's like, we're mocking you. He's like, all you people uncomfortable yeah. and so because so like homophobic. We're just going to lean like, into He's like, we're it. mocking you. And you know what we're mocking you even more of? We're doing a mockery of how you enjoy sports talk. Mm-hmm. What do you like in sports talk? Oh, who's the better football team? Oh, well, this, 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 and this makes them the better football team. Oh, blah, blah, blah. He's like, we're first taking you, but using a topic that makes you extremely uncomfortable. uncomfortable and you're and still you're listening. Still, <laughs> still listening and getting mad. Ultimate troll. They're, they're, they're like, we're literally making fun of you right now. And and it's working because our, our text lines are blowing up with you all talking about how, like, you can't say how gay we are right now. And he's yeah. like, we're not. It's like, obviously, we're just having a conversation. It shouldn't make you that uncomfortable. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate troll. Yeah. Uh, Levitart, man. He, the, the, I guess. Dude, man. he... His radio show is probably one of the one of my favorites that I listen to, other than like podcasts and stuff like that. He's got it. He's got it on lock. Um, so from there, uh, we are going to move on to what was probably while Dave Chappelle made us laugh and Tribe Called Quest made us think and uh, Charles Gambino got us excited for the future. No one made us quite as, quite as entertained, entertained as Conor yeah. McGregor this weekend, man. Man, that guy is a character of all characters, and he's the. I think I made a reference um, Saturday night while we were watching pay-per-view at, uh, at a friend of ours. Uh, you weren't there. You are in New York. But uh, I said he's the Floyd Mayweather of of uh, MMA. Yeah, except he actually punches people. But that, he stands in there and punches people like point blank. Um, but but I think he's more than that. It's like a Muhammad Ali of, of MMA. He's always talking. He's always doing something antique-y. Like he's, it's something going on. Mm-hmm. Like he's... Like you said, during a fight, there's a moment where he both hands behind his back and he's still weaving punches, and he even counter punches and still makes a connection. He's outclassing these guys by miles. It reminds me of Ali, where he's just talking shit. He backs it up. There's nothing you can do about it. The guy has two belts and two yep. divisions, two weight classes, and he knows his limitations. Yeah. He he directly said it after that fight, and mm-hmm. it's something that me and Delia talk about all the time. They keep giving him these people that he has longer arms than, mm-hmm. and that he is taller than. Or he's quicker than, or that 
don't fit to his fighting style and he's like as long as you keep giving me these people without attributes that are meant to that are meant to make me weaker mm-hmm. i'm going to keep laying them down yeah, he's gonna like, rip, rip the heads off yeah like diaz had the ultimate thing which was an iron jaw like i don't think anyone i don't think a truck hitting him would knock him out <laughs> but he also had what he have long long arms mm-hmm. he was taller than mcgregor he mm-hmm. had physical attributes that made him more appropriate to fight mcgregor mm-hmm. until they put him in the ring with someone that has that he's going to keep doing this to people dude aldo was I'm the worst i looked at aldo and he had like a 7 inch difference in reach yeah. and i was like how's aldo ever going to get to him it's it's Dossie. <laughs> yeah and and but i would say i agree with you on the fact that it's so reminiscent of of ali because he's so different in a sport where it's actually geared to have their stars lose mm-hmm. because on any given saturday you're supposed to be able to get knocked out by yeah. anybody and but in fact the sport that, thrives that off of the, thr- the sport thrives off of losing more than it does winning they actually thrive more on the 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 champion getting taken down by the upstart oh, yeah. you know yeah. and that's what they re- they're really built on yeah they're not built on Going forty nine and no, 0, forty the, and zero like they, Floyd. They reference belt defenses like such and such has eight title defenses. They reference it almost. You could almost hear it in their voice like, "When is he going to lose? Yeah, and wh- how much money can we make on that fight? Or can we set up a fight where he could potentially lose and people will come just to see that? Because we as fans like to see people mm-hmm. lose. So and an underdog win. I'll say this: this Conor McGregor is an exact reason why boxing is dying will continue to die because what you compared him to Floyd Mayweather mm-hmm. and I said he does he actually punches. Boxing Ooh, was great punch. when the great ones weren't afraid to lose mm-hmm. and they were willing to go and get punched in the face because they knew they were going to win. Yep. They knew they were going to beat someone else. And if they didn't, you got me, I'll come back and get you next time. Yep. That's where you get those dude, fight Ali, ones, fight two, fight three. Yep. Um, dude, uh, Ali Frazier too. One yeah, of the Tyson, most iconic fights all time. Tyson, um, I'm Oscar De La Hoya. Mm-hmm. There were fighters that were willing to get in a scrap, and people like watching the fight. They like watching the violence. The reason people are so uh, malaised when, or so you know, I guess apathetic when they mm-hmm. see Floyd fight is because they know what they're going to get, and they're not going to get a real fight. They're not going to get a real tussle, as opposed to McGregor, who went with Diaz, and they both looked like they got it. They were in a yeah. triage unit. Hell, even some of the undercards from 205, uh, UFC 205 pay-per-view in New York, up in Madison Square Garden, which was major. Fans were, like, there. Uh, not that UFC fans aren't ever there, but the undercards were even dope. Oh, no, it was um, packed. Traffic was horrible. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, you were there. Uh, Woodley, the Woodley fight that ended in a in a um, draw. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that happen, but the fight was good. Both those guys stood there punching each other the entire time, and it came to a, a, judge's, judge, a two-to-one draw. They're going to do a fight, too. I can't wait to see that. And I wonder how they're going to train for it. The The woman's title, um, Bantamweight, or Strawweight. It was Strawweight. Uh, her name is Joanna. I don't even know how to pronounce her last name. I think. Did I write a note? Jen, Jen Jacek. <laughs> this chick, for, uh, she was the coach of the UFC, the last uh, the Ultimate Fighter. Okay. Uh, strawweight champion. This chick is a beast. She's defended her belt, I believe, nine times. And nobody can touch her. She's a striker, and man, she throws some blows. They stood in that ring, and they blooded each other up. Both noses were broken. Both had huge knots on their eyes. So even we're talking, what we're saying here, we're we're naming like the Floyd Mayweathers and the Muhammad Ali's, the greats of boxing. 
everybody on the card that fought on Saturday was a good fight and an entertaining fight. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a named person in the UFC to bring that entertainment. I watch every single fight in a, in a, in a UFC event because I know I'm going to be entertained. Like you said, there's always a potential for knockout. Submissions are dope. Nobody can be scared. You get paid more for having the best knockout in the UFC. They give you incentive to try your best. Whereas somebody like a Mayweather, no offense to him, with his lofty 49-0, built a career on not being touched and hitting people just enough to win by judges. Yeah, and fighting people outside so, of prime. I, I do think, I, I, I don't want to see boxing die. I don't care for boxing, but I know a lot of traditionalists do. But it's almost one of those things, like, why, why do we dedicate any attention to that? Absolutely. And with your greatest fighter retiring, I don't even, could you name another boxer? I couldn't. Mm-mm. So, eh, whatever. And UFC was amazing. Conor McGregor, that guy, after the fight, after he won his his uh, second belt, he's a two-division, two two-time champion. Two-time, two-division champion? Mm-hmm. Uh, however you want to say that. He holds two belts in two weight classes. Or he holds one belt in each of the two weight classes. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting philosophical here. Um, his his post-game speech is more antics. It's more entertainment. And uh, let's listen to that right now, actually. For the first time ever, two-division champion Conor McGregor. The first man ever to hold two titles simultaneously. How does this all feel to you? Where the f*** is my second belt? I've already got this one. Where's the second one at? This is a huge accomplishment tonight. Was there anything at all surprising about it to you? Not one bit. They're not on my level. you got to have size. Reach, length, you've got to have some attributes. If you come in any way equal to me, I'm going to rip your whole head off. And that's it, I tell it every time. Eddie's a solid competitor. Look, what's next for me, Joe? I'm going to get that second belt. Where the f is it? They should have had them two belts ready. Spit showing for me. They're f both in the octagon. octagon. It's never been done before. <laughs> and that guy, he was the post, you know how they do the post fight interview, yeah. and he's like, so he's you, always a character. What are you going to do? Like, most people talk about, you know, we're going to go train. We're going to talk to our people and schedule the next fight. He's worried about the damn other belt because Dana White wouldn't give it to him. But, yeah. Um, so I, I, I have, love him, man. So the question has to be asked. Like we, you said a lot of people, so I figure I know, I know which side you're going to be on on this. Do you think there was a lot of discussion whenever the UFC purchase was going down and they had uh, McGregor lost, mm-hmm. then they had... Um, uh, John's Bones Jones gets suspended, mm-hmm. and they had um, the ch- man, I, Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey lose. Mm-hmm. That the USC all of a sudden people were kind of getting shaky. The the buyers were getting shaky in it because what they were buying into all their three big names weren't really big names. And what you buy into, just like the NFL or the NBA, you mm-hmm. buy in for the stars and you buy in for um, the ability to sell tickets, the yeah. ability to say pay per views. And if you don't have those stars, do you think after this fight? After he won at Diaz with his, you know, celebrity obviously continuing to go up, is he a make or break star for the UFC? Will they be able to continue to grow without if let's say if McGregor started going a losing streak, or do you think that they are something that could succeed without him? Because I I tend to think mm-hmm. that he is a catalyst at this point. He is really the Ali, the thing that is. The only reason they're in headlines is because he's the face on the picture of the story yeah. for them. Like he's the front page news. I'm not mean. No one read. No one reads two through two through eighteen of the pages <laughs> if they don't get past page one. Yeah, and uh, he's the clickbait. And I wonder if the UFC really values him as much as they should. Uh, 
Well, I, that's not where I thought you were going with the question. You oh. kind of threw me a curve. To answer your question, no, UFC is not valuing him as where they should, but there is a reason for that. It is because of exactly what you just said before the clip. They bank on the losing. Mm-hmm. The the fact that he is this big of a title, the fact that he's done something no one's ever done before in a sport that's amazingly grueling, and they take their stars and chart, they ball them up and throw them away, um, that's the mentality is we'll get you in, we'll make you a lot of money, but we're definitely going to ball you up and throw you away i.e. Anderson Silva, uh, Evans, Rashad Evans, and all those guys before. Um, was the guy that played Mr. T in the AT movie? Mm-hmm. Um, so if McGregor was to like pick up his things and go box instead, would they? <laughs> would they lose? Would they? Would uh, would they be the one that suffered instead of him? They being the UFC? Yeah. No, the UFC will not suffer because the UFC is built not on the star but on the fight. But is he that one star that could? change that you know because there's always that one guy that changes it whereas like michael jordan players mm-hmm. were paid a certain rate and then michael jordan broke the mold. broke broke the mold and then you know certain money started going out uh magic johnson did it before him with that 10-year contract uh you had other football stars that come through and they start setting setting the bar is he the one that that's break? doing that because right now right I now th- if this is an arm wrestling match the ufc like through the way they have the contracts set up and that everyone has to use these brands. You can only wear these brands of clothing. Rebound. These are our sponsors. Yeah. It Your contracts are based on what we pay you. Mm-hmm. We are your, we are your uh, promoters. We promote your fights. We schedule your fights. We do all that. There's not a lot of ability for the fighter to leverage their star power to get more money. And there's not a le- there's not a way for them to really pick their fights. Uh-huh. So is he the one that might be able Break to that. say... Either I'm your biggest do, star. Do what I want, or you I'm let out. me do what I want. Well, I'll, I'll answer your question. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll answer your question with a with a counter question. Wouldn't you say? And this is a weird way to ask a question. Or let me ask you. Let, let me say it like this. Would you say that the problem with boxing is all of those things you named are empowered by the fighters? So, I think boxing's problem started off. Before that, with just the corruptness and how people like the the sports betting and stuff yeah. like that got into it, and I'm, I'm sure there's a throwing lot of the other. fights and stuff like that. But I will say this: while I do think that yes, that's absolutely true, Floyd Mayweather ruined that for everyone to mm-hmm. be able to pick your own fights and how he worked that and how he leveraged it, where he made a hell of a lot of money. But only but he, he was also able to do it. he also. You can, in a lot of ways, you could say he robbed boxing fans by by, by doing purposely it. doing it in a way that was extremely shrewd. It was smart. It was smart business, but it wasn't necessarily Terrible very sports like best for the game. Yeah. You know what I would say. The one thing I will say is that I think where the UFC should learn from what boxing did and not let it get to that point. But there has to be some middle ground that the UFC fighters pull it to because you read too many stories about UFC fighters that are losing money, mm-hmm. that aren't making ends meet, that have to work a second job, that aren't able to survive off of it, that have these horrible injuries and have to go through these horrible medical procedures to be athletes in that sport. And they aren't able, because they're not Conor McGregor, because they're not Richard Evans, because they're not Misha Tate, because mm-hmm. they're not Ronda Rousey, mm-hmm. because they're not in the headliner, they're not paid as much. Um, and but they're still part of UFC, so there has to be some kind of so you know the, union the, or uh, something that says this is the minimum that you can pay us, it's because every league has it: uh, NFL, NBA, MLB, um, soccer, uh, ML, you know, World so, Boxing. So what we're talking about yeah. is the market share. Yeah, the market. The share. UFC is making a shit ton of money more than and any I, of the fighters. Even Connor's not making what he no, should make. He's, he's not making what he's valued at at all. 
neither is Ronda, neither is uh, well, Bones ain't making crap. Um, but what? So what we're saying here, and and I guess if I could put a bow on it, the issue with UFC is that they're being so Nazi-ish about it, and the problem with boxing is that it's wild, wild west, mm. and that any promoter can get in and promote a fight, or there's all these different boxing commissions and belts in different regions and lands, and this commission, that commission, and all this infighting and all these territories. Then you have UFC that's completely united under one dictatorship, essentially, where they dictate this is who you're fighting, this is the card, and this is what you'll make. That I agree, there has to be some kind of middle ground to or where some, you're not. Sometimes boxing. fighters union or something like that, where you can. Well, it, all they would simply have to do is what, like you said, the NBA did, or or um, the NBA just went through this, mm-hmm. where the Players Association, the NF, the NBA PA, negotiated a better contract for themselves, so they receive more of the market share of what the NBA makes in terms of after the money's being made in the NBA, the pie is cut for the owners and then for the players. So these monies have to go to the players, and that's why we just saw all these guys negotiating negotiating these two-year contracts and receiving more money this year in the NBA. The um, UFC fighters do need a, a, a fighters' union to negotiate something similar on their behalf because they should be being paid more money. And like you said, we're not talking about the Conor McGregor's, even though he himself isn't receiving. He just recently asked for more, a, a part of the... Uh, what is it? Stock. He asked for stock uh, consideration, and Dana White told him no. Yeah, and, and this also has to be stated. We're not saying they should get paid like NBA players. Because no, no, no. they don't make as much money right now as a, as a franchise. But I think they the should UFC receive make more of whatever the pie of what the UFC makes. Absolutely. They should make. They should receive more than a pie. Because if we look at it, the NBA players make, I think, 52% yeah. of the 50. I, I'm pretty sure if you looked at it, I think the UFC fighters make probably 25 yeah. I bet those numbers can't be found. They, I, I, it, it's probably not. <laughs> they probably don't not want no one, They don't want anyone because to know it's that. not a pretty figure. No. It's not, and it would, I, it would almost you, make you go really. But I tell you this, slave driver. You can't. You can't. You're saying these things in a way of because the UFC has done so well. These are rich people problems of saying, you know what, to keep our fighters happy, we're going to have to break them off a little bit. Mm-hmm. As a company grows, it can't just be the owners' pockets who get fatter. No. They have to reward the employee well, too. Who after a while, natural attrition will start weeding people out. When the lower half of your car doesn't make enough to sustain itself, they'll go to other fighting commissions that might be willing and to And you do the need more. the lower half. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't survive you on just You need somebody for Connor to beat up on. Yeah. And someone to, and people to grow and some people yeah, to definitely. eventually beat. For, for eventually the Connors of the world to grow into them. Yeah. And that's one thing UFC does do well is they do take people you, you hear the stories all the time like yeah, I was uh I was just trying to lose some weight and I went to a gym and now I'm here contending for the belt. Amazing story, but where's the money? Like yeah. we're not talking 30, 40,000 a year. 70,000 for people traveling around the country fighting in these. I mean, mostly they fight in Vegas. Yeah, because you could get to a point where, like, we, like Casey was telling the story about uh, the WWF or yeah. when he was trying to we're, get in there. We were talking He was WWF. in that under stuff. Yeah, he, he was. They were doing 78 shows every mm-hmm. 80 shows in two months, and your own travel, you need to pay for yourself. So they were literally losing money doing yeah. this. I'm not saying that the UFC is that bad. All I'm saying is, I. There is a conversation that's going to be had because, like I said, rich people problems. Mm-hmm. Eventually, your workforce is going to say, hey, we're making all this money. We're not making anywhere near the portion of the pie that is fair. Well, and they're going to ask for more of it. Now, isn't it always the case when we're talking about things that are not unionized? At some point, the garbage men are going to get together and say, 
nah, man, these conditions are terrible. We need more money. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the it's not pilots, a bad thing. No, no, it's not a bad thing you, at all. Because UFC went from being worth, what, $14 million when they bought it to worth a billion. Yeah. Now, yes, if if the percentage was, all right, you're getting paid. We're only worth $14 million, You get 10%. At one point or at fourteen million, they're gonna deal with what they need to get with. At four billion, mm-hmm. automatically they're gonna say, "Hey, that's a big growth, and you guys pocketed a shit ton and to get us here." Any of the now, fighters. please, now we paid our dues. We've gotten us here together. Mm-hmm. Dana White didn't fight none of them fights. Nope. So while he did, All now he while his while his business acumen and while they're promoting and the way to shape a business, they did an amazing job doing that. It is not too big of an ask to say, hey, maybe we should get 40%. But you would even think, how greedy do you have to be? Dana White made um, millions off the sale. There's a lot of people voted for Trump. I think we need to understand <laughs> how greedy people can Greed be. can go a long Greed way. Greed can go a long I just, way. I, maybe that is my my, um, my socialist mindset where I'm saying, uh, I think the quote we just said a second ago, Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. The guy who makes um, 10 mil and I make 20 mil, we live in the same neighborhood. You're already a millionaire, Dana White. Why do you need more money? Give it to the fighters to help them. Cause well, not even give it to them because well, how much money, huh, more money do you need? But it. you want to for your business to function well, mm-hmm. you need healthy fighters who are able to train to have the best nutrition, best supplements, best training partners. Best. You need them to be in their best physical shape to do their best in your sport. And what helps them do that? To be able to dedicate themselves 100% to the UFC, not need a second job, to have good health care, good training facilities, good things to pay for on their own, and what makes that happen? Being paid well by the UFC. Well, when you look at it just outright, um, when you get these guys out here and they're rich and they're buying these houses and they're cross, uh, cross-promoting because they have a business that does X, Y, Z, that also promotes your business. So it's almost like investing in yourself. Um a lot of the NBA players, when they're out balling and stuff, and you know that guy plays in the NBA, that guy's rich. I want to be like that guy, so I want to play in the NBA. So it's almost like a, a recruiting tool, if you mm-hmm. will. Whereas if you start to hear stories um, about people being washed out and like, man, I can get the cauliflower ear and be just back at Target, I'm good. Like, I'm straight. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. trying to get punched in the head for six months straight. And leave with some kind of anger issue and a bunch of old muscles and, and a head injury, only having me eighty thousand where I could just make that in my day to day, doing something like delivering a mail. Enough about that though. Uh, the UFC is still amazing, and as a fan, I'm going to continue to watch. I just uh, anytime we get into these situations where we talk about people being unpaid a fair amount, especially for the amount of beatings that they take, uh, it just starts to make you cringe a little bit about how rich we're making these people. We bought that UFC fight. We put money in their pockets. You know what I mean? So we almost kind of contribute to the issue. If we don't force these leagues to pay these players, they won't. Mm-hmm. And that's really simple. Like, So maybe it's on us to get on the, the UFC to say, hey, you guys need to start paying them. Or I doubt people would boycott it. But <laughs> <laughs> it'd, be hard, it'd be hard to mobilize that for the fighters. But it's Absolutely. just almost like one of those moral things where you feel the need to do that absolutely now moving from the ufc we're going to move to what happened to be the most exciting weekend in professional football because we actually had a full slate of good games i'm not every game was good but they were no ties but they were (laughs) there were no ties they were entertaining i mean we had a uh, at least an afternoon game a late afternoon game and a sunday night game that was entertaining a monday night game that was uh better than i expected it to be with those with uh the bengals and the giants 
I was happy. What about yourself? How how I did your team win? My team won big. Man, we scored like forty points. Oh yeah, y'all played the Bears, so then no one. <laughs> hey, cares. don't uh, did I ask you who we played? I was just <laughs> talking about this, what we did. We scored for we scored thirty nine points on a crappy team, and there were some weird things that happened. But I don't want to nitpick on my team. The uh, the NBA, I mean NBA, the NFL. You know what just happened? Charles Gambino just started playing background. I got really excited. Um, the NFL was good this week. It was really good. We had. Uh, the Patriots lost an amazing game to the Seahawks. Yep. Super Bowl rematch. In the most un... Like, if anyone... Which I hope so listen to the show. If any of you have ever watched a Patriots game, there is one play that the Patriots use every time they need one yard, mm-hmm. and it is the Brady QB sneak, yeah. and it works 110 times out of 100. And the fact that they could not get one yard on four plays is absolutely crazy. And... Dude, I, you gotta admit that final, <clears throat> the final play with Gronk, uh, and uh, versus what is his name, the linebacker Wagner. Nope, no, nope. was it Wagner? No, no, it was the safety. Thirty-one. It was. Why can't we think of his name? I don't know, man. This, this is, this is why we, this is why people, <laughs> this is why we get our, our listeners go down sometimes because we keep fumbling <laughs> over these names. One second, uh. Cam Chancellor. Chancellor. Yeah, I have him on my fantasy team. Right? Dude, as he's called sometimes on ESPN the episode the pterodactyl. <laughs> they call long it, arm span. Dude, long arm span. He goes up against which is Gronk the human polar bear. Yeah. And uh <laughs> it's so, absolutely so like a Godzilla that. style like war in the corner and it's absolutely what you want to see. You want to see the two like pinnacles of athleticism going against each other, and the game as a whole was great. The game that surprised the hell out of me was the Tennessee Titans putting forty seven on the Packers, and them only scoring twenty five. And it's going to start. People all week are going to be talking about what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's his fault. I don't think they got an offensive line. They ain't got a running game. They don't have consistent receiver play, and their defense, other than my man Sam Shields, sucks. Well, they're saying it's him because he's usually so on it. Even when they've lacked running games. But and you can't had, carry a team. I'm a Colts fan. One I, guy can't carry I, a damn I team. I agree. I'm just pointing to what they're going to point to. In wins and losses, it's going to be the quarterback and the head coach to get blamed. We know they don't have oh, a yeah. running game. They have five injured uh, running backs. I think they have as many injured running backs as we do, the, yeah, Mike, the Buccaneers. Mike McCarthy is on the hot seat. He's got to be. Uh, you've, had Aaron Rodgers, you've had Aaron Rodgers in his prime. you got one Super Bowl. You've only made it to one Super Bowl. What are their playoffs? Aaron Rodgers like? in your prime. What are their playoffs looking like? Can't beat Seattle. They played Seattle twice. The playoffs oh, they're not can't going beat to beat them anytime soon, no matter yeah. who they get. But that's coach coaching. That is coaching, and he is the general manager too. Yeah. So he decides he may, who he they may draft. Lose that. I'd be interested to see. I, I don't. I, don't I know think. About I the think. Hot seat. I think he's got to be fired this year if they don't make the playoffs. They, no, I think. I, they what can if they make, make the playoffs? They can make the playoffs and lose the first and you round. Think I think he should still be fired. Yeah, because I don't think they were good last year. He's the offensive coordinator and he's the general manager. Get him out of there. Both positions. Both positions. Wouldn't you at least take away his GM no, responsibilities? No, I think that offense looks so... It's it's The reason they got rid of Tom Coughlin was because people are no longer listening to the message. It's the same thing. The yeah. offensive isn't getting more creative. They aren't creating as many big plays. And it looks so, the, the so it often, them. it looks like Aaron Rodgers standing back there with no offensive line, running around Murder. for seven <laughs> seconds, hoping he doesn't get killed before dear he throws God, his ball. Dear God, dear God. Yeah, throw it, it away. It looks it, it looks horrible. And the defense, they've moved so many times from 3-4 to 4-3, and they rely so heavily. They move Kelly Matthews all around the field. Um, they have talent on the roster. 
I just think it's time for, uh, I think it's so often we call for the heads of coaches and stuff like that in the NFL, but I think this is one where he's had enough time. And I will say this again, Aaron Rodgers in his prime, one Super Bowl. If they fire him, who do they get? There's no, there's not that many guys available. I mean, just, we just someone went through this new. Last year. Someone co- new. The coaching carousel doesn't yield. I mean, unless they pick up some coordinator somewhere. Yeah, but that's, that's what you got to do. You got to take a chance on a coordinator. Hopefully, you pick. Well, hopefully, pick the, the city person. of Green Bay and their community coach team decide yeah. to do that. <laughs> uh, what'd you think about the Giants, man? Odell's getting down. He's back focused. Did you see his dance party he had before? The I game? loved it. And people were like. No, I don't hate on They're it. They're like but, crying about dude, it. I was like, dance away, man. Dude, I would have joined him. Delia, Delia knows Odell Beckham, <laughs> and she has oh, her right. own opinion about him. She does not necessarily like him, but she really? watches his dance videos. She thinks he, it's hilarious. She loves when players dance. I will tell you this. It, it's for an argument. And the no fun league. Yeah, an argument for allowing end zone celebrations is that when Delia sees them, she thinks they're the most entertaining thing in the world. She and that would watch, get her fo- to watch football. She would watch football if they allowed end zone celebrations. I don't understand why we don't. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and more slow slow mo replays. She thinks it's beautiful when people make like one handed catches in the end zone yeah. and stuff like that. Though, play to your strengths. You want to broaden your audience. You just yeah, got a, ba- you go. a ballerina just, to just watch pretty it up. football. Just yeah. pretty it up. Yeah, just pretty it up. <laughs> <laughs> no man, when your boy your boy can dance, and he's not the only one. There's a lot. Of, I mean, uh, Sterling Shepard was dancing with him in the end zone too. A lot of black people in the league. There's a lot of people who are funny. They're comical. They they think of these creative ways to do these celebrations. And I'm not I'm not saying some kind of ten minute. You know XFL style like fireworks display, but you should be able to enter the end zone and display your joy for making it there. I almost want to say I think um, Odell might have said it. Somebody hinted that they wish the team because as a team we got to the end zone. Yes, I may have scored, but the offensive line block for Eli to throw it to Odell Beckham for him to catch it in the back of the end zone. Odell got his thriller on and that was smooth. But the rest of the team just had to come and kind of shake his hand. I think mm-hmm. everybody should be able to celebrate. And if you don't like us celebrating, keep us out there. I think zone. a college team did that over the weekend where they had like big group celebrations. I take the penalty. And they did and they did the one from uh, Baby Boy where they punched the kid in the face. Like yeah, they like do the, the thing. The, like, don't flinch. Yeah, don't yeah. flinch. They did that whole thing as a celebration. They really like, acted yeah, yeah, they acted it out. What are they, that college basketball team? No, no, they did they, <laughs> no, it no, was no. like a celebration of I'm saying remember the college team. basketball team, the bench oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. celebrate every <laughs> They would have these like elaborate displays of like yeah, um, the kid would die. Yeah, to carry him off the field. Yeah, to carry him yeah, off the yeah, field. Off the court, I mean. uh, but I, I'd be down. We're talking about the no fun league. They penalize you for celebrating. You can only get two pumps in, like it's a key and pill skit. Um, if you're uh, the Pittsburgh receiver, I forget his name. Mike, yep, Mike, whatever. Um, no, Sa- Sanders. We are butchering the names of hey man. We're pretty saying, famous athletes this right ain't now. ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't if it ain't a Buccaneer, I don't know who we talk about. Um, no, but I think the no fun league should allow the fun back in it. I think, I think it's Antonio uh, Brown. Jeez, yeah, I even well, said it wrong. We were way off. Stop fact checking yourself. See, that's when they, you prove yourself wrong. Uh, we need to hire someone to fact check. Where's Rich at? But we Rich, have get your Uber and ass right here we, and start <laughs> fact checking us. Give us, giving us names. Get, we'll give them a computer and some Wi-Fi. Rich, you sit there and fact. But no, um, I really think the no fun league was what they call the NFL. Should allow the fun back in. It's a it's a sport. It's a game. Why can't we have fun when we're playing a game? I remember when Tio and Ocho Cinco used to war at these things, and oh, it was so they would hilarious, try to one up each other. They would leave markers and pylons and get in with the cheerleaders, and even um, <laughs> Mike uh, Legarrette Blunt did it. He he celebrates with the uh, the Patriot squad, the yeah, the musket carrier, the yeah, actual what, pa- the Patriots, the Patriots, the yeah, colonial. Those, Patriots. those guys that sit on the sideline looking all like re- war uh, war reenactors. And I just think it's cool when people do cool stuff. So, yeah, we get to the point where you score. And 
in a league where they have to reset everything and there's a lot of downtime, let them, man, let everybody dance. Let's get a whole team thriller going on. Take like. a, oh, and we'll, <laughs> other than that, the a couple of games yeah. I wanted to reference, Dallas Cowboys were Steelers. Was one of the most entertaining games I've seen all year. When Ezekiel I, Elliott took that screen pass for eighty-five yards, holy crap, dude! Low key, the cow- I mean, low key, my ass. Um, the Cowboys have been balling, and they're on the America's radar. I'm saying low key because I don't understand how it's happening. They're, these two rookies should not be doing what they're no, doing. No, I, I told, I told Delia this when he line. got drafted. There was a lot of hype Dak about or, him. Um, Elliot. Elliot. Oh yeah, yeah Elliot. There's a lot of hype when he came out. Number four draft pick, obviously highest draft pick since Peterson. Um, as a running back, mm-hmm. but there's something special about that kid, man. You saw it when he was at Ohio State. He had, but I didn't see this, man. I, I, I didn't see this. I, think the, I, I didn't think, think he'd be this fast. The, in the, the NFL. offensive line is balling. No, is what it is. he took that screen pass, and what I'm saying, no, they're when, opening up holes. No, no, like no. When they did that screen pass, he ran. He runs past people. I'm talking. He's so fast. He, he does have his legs his are so strong. And between him and Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell, whereas. He has great vision mm-hmm. in um, uh, between the tackles. Between the tackles, he has great vision. Zeke does. Le'Veon Bell has this weird stop. Like he hits pause yeah. in Madden, and uh, it is the most yeah. shocking thing. Like you see, it looks subhuman. It just like <laughs> like he looks just different than everyone else when he's mm-hmm. running so smooth. Zeke is more of just he's just got such strength in his legs. He's such a strong yeah. running back to cut to take hits, but then. He's got a gear that I don't think any other running no, back in the I, league I've has. I've seen him hit that gear a couple times, and it's it's you will think like, oh, they're gonna catch him. No, they're not. Yeah, and he, but him he had it in college. He had it in college, and I didn't think it would be the same in the pros. And there's no team. How does he step there, it up like that? But there's no team that will make you look faster than the Pittsburgh Steelers in their secondary because <laughs> they have no speed. Like I at all, they haven't for years. They've just yeah, had they, great they, zone coverage. They basically have linebackers deep, playing yeah, defensive backs and. Yeah. And uh, the last thing you want to do is see him hit touchdown alley outside the hash marks. He's gone. Yeah, totally. He's gone. Um, I did want to make a note. Uh, Mike Evans and uh, his delayed Kaepernick. Bro, you're five months late to the party but trying he's, to sit but down. He's, pro- tr- he's strictly just protested Trump. You're five months late. You could have did something else. Protest in another way. Wear a F Trump shirt or something like that. I, I don't know. It, it, he, or vote. Protest through your vote. Protest through your vote. How dare you not vote and then try to protest something after he... I just said this a, a second ago. Who are you to not choose something and then try to be on the side when it doesn't go your way? This this proves the point. My, uh, Brandon Marshall said it this, uh, this past week on Inside the NFL that players now... It's swung to the opposite side of the spectrum mm-hmm. where NFL players now feel that they are going to face scrutiny if they do not stand up for social issues like peer pressure whereas it used to be that they felt like they were going to get flack if they stood up for social issues Mm -hmm. and i think there's something to be said listen we do not expect every great star to stand up for every issue the reason i say that is because not everyone's meant to no there are some people that are not gifted or like orally to speak in an eloquent way yep. or in a in like informed way, there are also issues that you might not care about that you do not need to just speak on them because you think you're supposed to. Yeah. What I will say this is, if you really care that much, voice the best voice and the most constitutional voice you have in voting. Tell people what you voted if that if you're that passionate about it. Tell mm-hmm. people why you voted. If you don't know why you voted, shut up. If you don't know why you don't like Trump, shut up. Mm-hmm. If you don't 
work like use your constitutional right to vote do not speak about voting and you know what it sounds bad for me to even say shut up that's a personal belief of mine it's your freedom of speech and you have the right to speak if you want to speak i just trumped right now i just like completely just i'm I'm a subtweet my tweet with uh (laughs) with the correction but no i I, I was i was pissed off by it a little bit to be able to say shut up because you don't have a leg to stand on when you don't choose to speak in the most uh direct way you can voting you have the ability to vote you're not a felon you're a millionaire and you play in a sport where you're on a stage where kids are looking up to you go vote bro you're Mm -hmm. black too go vote people died for your right to do that absolutely so if you're not going to do that i'm i'm gonna say shut up you don't have i I voted this year for the first time with the thought process i want to be able to look back and tell my kids you, I voted. I did not vote for Trump, my, and, and I feel like this is going to be one of those things. I heard someone say it this this week on CNN, or actually not CNN. I was walking down the street in Manhattan, and there was someone else who was caught in the protest who did not mean to. He was like a six year old man. He was a six year old man walking with his swim, son. Swim and, for the wall. And he looked. He looked over and he goes, "Son, we're walking in the streets of history right now." And he's yeah. like, "We are living amongst history, and we're watching this happen." And now, yes. He might have been a Trump supporter. You know, it doesn't take you don't. It don't matter how you vote to notice that you're in something that's bigger than yeah, yourself. Definitely. And while this, I don't think this will anyone, be referenced yeah, as a story, absolutely. 30, 40 years from now. Yeah, it, it was a. It was a. I'll just say it was a moment that made you a, take pause. It kind of put you. And I can tell you this: being that my grandfather lived through the civil rights era and participated in, there's no way in hell I'm not voting. I'm at these booths. I, all four years I've been eligible. This is my fourth. I voted and. The person I voted for one twice and the person I didn't vote for one twice. I'm yeah. two for two. Call it what you want. Because there's a lot of people right now getting on their moral high horse saying that these people died for the right for you to be able to blah, 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 blah. And that's all true. And yes, men and women in the armed forces die every day for our rights to, to vote. Mm-hmm. And more importantly... another one of those rights. Yeah, yeah. And more importantly, just like you said, and like Mike Evans' ancestors' family did, was fight for the right that all races had the right to vote. Yep. The Voting Rights Act. And for us not to support it and fight for it is a shame. Well, that'd be our episode for today. Masters of Banter episode 16. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to be back. We'll be coming at y'all more consistently with this sports talk banter, this real banter, and uh, this general information. Anything to say? Anything no, on it's your good mind? to be back. Uh, I'm, I missed you guys while I was gone, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. And uh, again, if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, please check out the election podcast we did last week. The one before, well, that one was with my dad, Gary Laspina, and then the one before with uh, special guest, Casey Collins, the Angry Amish Warrior. And if you want to be a guest on the show, make sure you hit us up. Check out all our shows, everything at shiftedvisionmedia.com. We just had a website redesign. Shout out to T for doing that. Everything looks good. It's right where it should be. And uh, reach out to us, man. Join the conversation. Again, this is Shift Division Media. This is Masters of Banter. I am Mike Lake. And I am John Michael Espina. And thank you for listening one more time.